Amen. Well, thank you, Mike. We are going to hear uh, from God's Word, which I'll read for us. We're in Exodus uh, chapter 2 this morning. It's uh, one, of those, one of those stories that's uh, beloved by kids, with, with Moses being put in the, in the basket and put in a river, but one of those stories that when you think about it a bit more carefully, it's actually uh, pretty awful and pretty traumatic, uh, isn't it? So it'll be uh, nice to look at it together this morning. Uh, so from Exodus chapter 2. Now a man of the tribe of Levi married a Levite woman, and she became pregnant and gave birth to a son. When she saw that he was a fine child, she hid him for three months, but when she could hide him no longer, she got a papyrus basket for him and coated it with tar and pitch. Then she placed the child in it and put it among the reeds along the bank of the Nile. His sister stood at a distance to see what would happen to him. Then Pharaoh's daughter went down to the Nile to bathe, and her attendants were walking along the riverbank. She saw the basket among the reeds and sent her female slave to get it. She opened it and saw the baby. He was crying and she felt sorry for him. This is one of the Hebrew babies, she said. Then his sister asked Pharaoh's daughter, Shall I go and get one of the Hebrew women to nurse the baby for you? Yes, go, she answered. So the girl went and got the baby's mother. Pharaoh's daughter said to her, Take this baby and nurse him for me and I will pay you. So the woman took the baby and nursed him. When the child grew older, she took him to Pharaoh's daughter and he became her son. She named him Moses, saying, I drew him out of the water. One day after Moses had grown up, he went out to where his own people were and watched them at their hard labor. He saw an Egyptian beating a Hebrew, one of his own people. Looking this way and that and seeing no one, he killed the Egyptian and hid him in the sand. The next day he went out and saw two Hebrews fighting. He asked the one in the wrong, why are you hitting your fellow Hebrew? The man said, who made you ruler and judge over us? Are you thinking of killing me as you killed the Egyptian? Then Moses was afraid and thought, what I did must have become known. When Pharaoh heard of this, he tried to kill Moses. But Moses fled from Pharaoh and went to live in Midian, where he sat down by a well. Now a priest of Midian had seven daughters and they came to draw water and fill the troughs to water their father's flock. Some shepherds came along and drove them away, but Moses got up and came to their rescue and watered their flock. When the girls returned to Reuel, their father, he asked them, Why have you returned so early today? And they answered, An Egyptian rescued us from the shepherds. He even drew water for us us and watered the flock. And where is he? Reuel asked his daughters. Why did you leave him? Invite him to have something to eat. Moses agreed to stay with the man who gave his daughter Zipporah to Moses in marriage. Zipporah gave birth to a son, and Moses named him Gershom, saying, I have become a foreigner in a foreign land. During that long period, the king of Egypt died. The Israelites groaned in their slavery and cried out, and their cry for help because of their slavery went up to God. God heard their groaning, and he remembered his covenant with Abraham, with Isaac, and with Jacob. So God looked on the Israelites and was concerned about them. Uh, I wonder how you go in a crisis. I wonder how you go in a high-pressure situation. Uh, do, you, do you panic? Do you shy away? Do you try and be the hero? Um, I remember a day when I was about 14, 15, something like that, uh, and I was out rounding up sheep with my uncle, um, and, and along the road next to, next to the paddock, suddenly this big truck uh, rolled over and crashed into the ground and actually crashed into another car. 
Uh, now, everyone ended up being fine, but um, of course, that's a pretty scary, high-pressure, crisis kind of moment. Uh, my uncle went to go and see if he could get help, but my job uh, was to run to the house and call the ambulance. All right, crisis moment, my chance to be a hero. Uh, I felt that adrenaline surging through my body. You probably know that feeling. Uh, and I ran and I ran and I ran and um, I remember up ahead of me was this, was this quite high fence and normally uh, you'd sort of get to the fence and there was a few little steps you'd go up and then you'd sort of swing your legs over. Uh, but I was full of adrenaline so I ran straight for the fence, hurtled straight over uh, like a hero. It was probably kind of stupid because I could have easily clipped my feet on the fence and crashed to the ground and then I would have been calling two ambulances. Um, but I ran and ran and ran, got to the house, um, called the ambulance, did it. Uh, I can still remember the adrenaline uh, on that feeling and it, it turned out actually I did it all and then um, as it turned out someone had a mobile phone at the crash and so they'd already called the ambulance it was all a bit unnecessary Um, but how do you react how do you respond in those crisis high pressure moments well as we come today to exodus chapter 2 we are journeying with the people of god in the old testament the israelites and god's people are in a crisis moment they're under extreme pressure they're being oppressed mistreated and now even their sons are being systematically murdered as we've heard about the story of this mother who desperately tries to save her son's life well today i want us to explore this story and to think about what this story shows us about how god's people should respond in times of crisis times of high pressure Um, we can fast forward through to today we we live obviously in a very different time to ancient egypt Uh, that was three thousand years ago we're here in australia three thousand plus years later Uh, but this idea of god God's people being under pressure, uh, well, that's not an unfamiliar idea to us. I probably would be careful about using a word like crisis, uh, but we do know there are hard things for Christians in Australia today, um, increasing pressures uh, for Christians today. You might have read, uh, just as one example, the controversy about this hospital in Canberra, uh, the Calvary Hospital, uh, a Catholic hospital, and it's being forcibly taken over uh, by the ACT government. And some are saying that the government wasn't happy with the hospital's stance on uh, abortion and euthanasia and so they stepped in uh, to take the hospital out of their hands. Now, the government, there is another side to the story, the government is saying that it's, it's not about that, it's purely about a need to restructure health services in the territory. But uh, either way, no doubt, lots of pressure at the moment on those Christians who are working in that hospital, lots of difficult questions that those employees are facing. And, p- and people are saying, well, you know, Christian ethics and morals are no longer relevant anyway, you know, we should just be leaving that sort of stuff behind. Um, so so how, how should God's people respond when we're being put under those kind of pressures, squeezed out, um, or perhaps even being treated unfairly? How should we respond when life isn't going the way we want, uh, when we feel like we're in crisis? <laughs> uh, Exodus 2 is going to help us ask, ask those sorts of questions. Uh, and really the passage uh, shows us these three things. It shows us uh, what we can do. Uh, it shows us what our limits are, and it shows us where we should look for help, really. Uh, what we can do, what our limits are, uh, where we should really look for help. Uh, so first of all, what can we do? We had, a, we had a family movie night the other day. Uh, we watched this movie, The Prince of Egypt. It's a really good movie, remarkably well made, amazing songs. Um, it says a lot, actually, about the power of the Exodus story, that back in the 90s, Uh, when DreamWorks wanted to fight back against the might of Disney and come up with their own sort of animated movie division and compete in the movie market, that this was the story that they decided to make for their very first movie. Uh, This is what they went with. Uh, Now, they do add in 
uh, some little extra bits of excitement. Uh, we watched this bit where Moses was put in the basket uh, and he ends up getting swept down the Nile and he has to dodge crocodiles and hippos and um, there's probably a little bit of... Um, uh, a little bit of license taken. It's not quite so dramatic in the reading that we've read this morning, but um, this is still an incredibly emotional, intense kind of story. Uh, the mother who loves her son but knows that his life is at stake and has to hide him from the authorities and then in this last-ditch attempt to keep the baby alive, puts him in the basket, hoping that just something good can come out of this awful situation. And then there's the, the daughter of Pharaoh. She's just out for a walk, out bathing, and she hears a baby crying. And oh, she realizes it's one of the Hebrews who was meant to be put to death. And in a moment of great compassion, she feels sorry for him and decides to take the baby in and ensure the baby is protected. Well, you have here two women who find themselves in the middle of this intense, high pressure situation. And how do they act? Uh, they act with courage, with compassion with a desire to protect life. There's, there's just remarkable character displayed here, isn't there? And we could, we could go back to actually last week as well. We could, we could also probably throw the midwives um, that we looked at last week in with this uh, group. They showed similar qualities. Uh, and I think these, these women, and it does, it does seem, it's all women through, through Exodus 1 and 2. Uh, it does seem to be all women. I think these women do just show us how God's people can be faithful even under the most extreme of circumstances. Uh, courage, it, it takes courage when we're in the middle of hard things to keep going and be faithful. Uh, the courage of Moses' mother, uh, if the workers at that hospital in Canberra decide it's the right thing under God to take a stand on what's happening at the moment, and I don't really know if it is uh, something that's worth taking a stand over, but if they do decide to take a stand, it is going to take um, some guts, isn't it? It is going to take courage. Um, it could involve their jo- jobs being on, their li- on the line, their, their reputations. And we might have these sorts of situations in our day-to-day as well, maybe not quite so extreme, but you, you, you could say find yourself in a situation at the office where um, people are being negative towards Christianity and you could face choices about whether to defend yourself, whether or not to get involved with maybe causes that you might decide aren't the sort of causes in good conscience you want to get involved with. Um, you know, th- there can be pressure in these moments. Courage may well be required. Uh, but mixed with courage, I think Exodus is reminding us that to be faithful under these high-pressure moments also means being marked by compassion. Uh, you know, in, in Exodus, all of these women that we've looked at, they're never so much standing up for themselves. They're never, never really trying to protect their lifestyle or, or, or to make sure their own rights are upheld. Um, in every case, it's, a, it's about others. It's about having that courage to protect the vulnerable people. Now, it's taking that Hebrew child who you know is under a death sentence and taking it in, probably at great risk to yourself. Having the compassion to care more about the fate of others than your own fate. That, that's what should mark God's people when they're put under pressure. Uh, for us, this might mean if we've got friends, uh, relatives who are antagonistic towards the gospel, uh, we might have to be okay with not trying to win the arguments. We might have to let the opportunity to defend ourselves pass. Uh, maybe if it not so much look good all the time. Um, perhaps out of compassion for the person we're talking to. Perhaps we need to care a little bit less about winning the argument and, and, and care a little bit more about them themselves. We actually want to show them gentleness, compassion, uh, so that we can maybe even point them to the God who is filled with compassion. Oh, but it's compassion and it's also courage. Compassion that we're not in it for ourselves, not in it for ourselves, uh, but courage because when the opportunity does come, we want to take that opportunity to speak up about the gospel and not be afraid to do so. Now, this sort of courage and compassion that we've seen in our story that we're talking about um, us perhaps having today, uh, it's not going to come from ourselves. Um, some of it 
Some of us might just not be that good in a crisis. We might just not respond um, so well when the pressure's on. Uh, well, we were talking about the midwives last week, as I said, um, in Exodus 1, and um, someone came up to me after church and said, you know, those midwives, they, I bet they didn't do it all on, on their own. You know, they must have had God with them, giving them strength. And I think um, that's exactly right. Let's, let's ask God to fill us with courage and compassion. Give, him, uh, give us His strength uh, by His Holy Spirit to help us uh, be compassionate and courageous in these high-pressure sorts of moments. Uh, but the other thing, just to go back to briefly again, um, we, we again looked at it last week, uh, is that those midwives were motivated by fear of God, by that sense that God is the one whose opinion really matters. And so we need to keep knowing God's promises more and more, hearing from His Word, hearing about who He is, being reminded that He's the one whose opinion counts. There's no point in me standing up here telling you to um, be brave and toughen up. Um, we need to be the church that's pointing each other to God, saying, let's remember who really runs this world. Let's remember whose opinion really matters. Uh, That's how we'll find the freedom that will help us be courageous and compassionate in the face of adversity. That's what we can do in these times of crisis. Uh, But now the second thing Exodus 2 shows us, uh, I think, is what our limits are. Uh, We've come to the second part of our story. Uh, We've seen how Moses was saved as a child. Now he's grown up. And just, um, just think for a minute, okay, we've kind of heard the story of Moses being rescued from the basket. Um, where, do you, where do you expect the story to go next? What would be the predictable thing to happen next in this story? We've seen Israel are in desperate need. And then they're, they're being oppressed. Their young boys are being wiped out. But now one of, the, one of the boys has survived. One of their own has survived and grown up. And actually not only has Moses survived... He's ended up being brought into the royal family. He's suddenly got power and influence and authority. Um, I I think it's actually kind of a bit like a classic superhero movie plot. Um, There's these these people who are in desperate need of rescue. Suddenly, here comes the hero who's got this kind of cool backstory. And for whatever reason, he's been given this great power. Um, You know, he's been given the magic spider bite and now he's got all these powers. Um, Now he's got the power to help. I think the obvious way for this story to head is that Okay, now Moses has grown up. Now Moses is going to be the hero. He's the one now who can save the people. You might think he's going to be a bit of like a Joseph sort of character from Genesis. He's, he's now got this position and this authority. Now he can use this authority to bring about a great future for his people. He can stop them being oppressed. But instead, let's look at what does happen. Verse 11, one day after Moses had grown up, he went out to where his own people were and watched them at their hard labor. He saw an Egyptian beating a Hebrew, one of his own people. Note the repetition, repetition, his own people, his own people. He certainly identifies with his own people. He wants to help his own people. He feels affinity towards his own people. But verse 12, looking this way and that and seeing no one, he killed the Egyptian and hid him in the sand. (coughs) Here is Moses. He wants to do something. He wants to be the hero. wants to help his people. The adrenaline's racing through him, probably a bit like me racing to call the ambulance that time. Uh, but what he does is not wise. In fact, it's, it's rash, it's cruel. He, he just kills this random Egyptian. And he's looking around, hoping no one would see. But what happens in verse 13? Well, the next day, he went out and saw two Hebrews fighting. He asked the one in the wrong, uh, why are you hitting your fellow Hebrew? And the man sort of mocks Moses and says, who made you ruler and judge over us? Are you thinking of killing me as he killed the Egyptian? And Moses suddenly realises, what I did must have become known. I was seen with the midwives and Moses' mother and Pharaoh's daughter. Under crisis, we've seen 
they have displayed courage and compassion and a desire to protect life. But with Moses, well, it's not courageous, is it? It's a coward punch. And it's not compassionate, it's a ruthless killing. And it's not about protecting life, it's committing murder. You expect, it, you expect in the story to see Moses, now he's going to be the hero who can save his people from this crisis. But instead, he just shows us the complete opposite of what God's people are meant to be doing. And I think the passage is reminding us, showing us our limits. You see, if we start overestimating ourselves, we can become arrogant or foolhardy. We can start thinking that we've got all the answers to save God's people, that we're the hero that God's people need. Um, I I actually think back to myself when I was in my early 20s. uh, That was kind of the age when I first started thinking, maybe I'd like to be a pastor one day, maybe I'd like to work for a church. And I I must confess that back then, uh, I really thought I wanted to be a pastor because I thought I could help fix the church. Um, I sort of thought the church is in decline. The problem is the Bible's not being taught well probably not talking enough about the gospel and judgment, not being clear enough, not maybe being run efficiently enough. Uh, And I really thought I could help. Um, And thankfully, I think God softened me at least a little bit over the years. And by the time I even decided to go to uh, do my apprenticeship and go to Bible college, I at least had a little bit more humility. Um, I'll at least say that. But um, I did as well. See, lots of other people actually who I thought were just the same as me, especially young blokes, uh, very common in that kind of younger age, I can be God's gift to the church. Uh, I might just be the superhero that God's people need. And if these people are too quickly put into positions of high leadership, um, not given good uh, supervision, they can go in a bit like Moses, rash, arrogant, and can end up just doing more harm than good. Uh, But of course, this isn't just about young blokes, or just a warning for young blokes. We all have the potential to think when it comes to serving Jesus that we can do it in our own strength, um, that we could be the hero, that we might just have all the answers. And as a church together too, we could make the mistake. We could start thinking it's all about, you know, setting up our systems perfectly and efficiently and having wonderful surveys and, and setting up our beautiful, well-run programs. We could just become this brilliant, amazing, well-run organisation and we could almost be obsessed uh, with how, how good of an organisation we are. I look, I, I trained as a systems engineer. I, I value uh, the good in well-run systems for sure, as much as anyone. Uh, and there is lots of good in trying to be effective, Uh, It's just that the danger is that the Bible again and again shows us that God is a God who more often than not likes to use the unimpressive person, the weaker brother. Uh, And God does this because He wants us to remember that we as His people are very limited. He wants to show us that it's not our own power we should should trust in, but in His. Moses has been given this high position. No doubt he was trained and given a great Egyptian education. Uh, But, well, we know this today, don't we? If you go to the best schools, if you run in the top social circles, it's pretty easy if you're not careful to start uh, to to come out of that and and start thinking of yourself a bit too highly, uh, become a bit arrogant if you're not careful. He starts to think that he might just be the hero that everyone needs and he doesn't look to God and to God's help. Um, In those verses that we looked at, verses 11 to 14, one of the um, other bits of repetition, we saw his own people was in there a couple of times, but um, you might notice there's a lot of repetition of this idea of seeing and looking. Um, so verse 11, Moses went out to his own people and watched them, and he saw an Egyptian. And then verse 12, looking this way and seeing no one. Uh, and, then, and then the next day he went out and he saw two Hebrews. Uh, Moses is doing lots of looking and seeing, but the one place he wasn't looking to was to God. He rated himself by by trying to be the hero in his own strength, he'd only made things worse. Uh, because of what's happened, he ends up fleeing the country, goes on his own little exodus, gets out of there, 
And when you expect the story to go somewhere good for God's people and you expect Moses to be the hero, well, all it is really is just a big fail. Uh, let's just notice as we come to verse 21 and 22 just how unsatisfying uh, kind of the ending of the story is. Moses had left Egypt. He's actually ended up making a pretty decent life for himself. Like he joins a new people, he kind of gets this new family, he gets married. Um, he's actually living right over near the promised land again. Um, but verse 21, Moses agreed to stay with a man who gave his daughter Zipporah to Moses in marriage. Zipporah gave birth to a son and Moses named him Gershom saying, I have become a foreigner in a foreign land. I've become a foreigner in a foreign land. You could actually sort of make the point at this point that, well, Moses has kind of got to the promised land. He's not too far away from it. And he's kind of going on with God's people. Like he's, he's kind of married into a new family, but you could say he's kind of going on to God's people. You could actually kind of say, well, God's kind of fulfilling his promises here. Like he's it's almost at the promised land. He's almost kind of continuing on with God's people. Maybe it's close enough. You know, it's maybe not quite God's grand promises that we sort of hoped, but, you know, maybe it's sort of almost got there. Maybe it's, maybe it's sort of close enough. Um, and actually, there's a really interesting comparison in this story between Moses and Noah. Um, Noah, you will, you will probably remember from the story of Noah and the ark. So Noah and Moses, um, let's just compare Noah and Moses a little bit. So Noah and Moses, Moses and Noah, they were both saved uh, while a lot of other people perished. So all the other, all the other young boys have been killed, but uh, Moses was saved. So Moses and Noah, they were both saved um, while other people perished. Um, secondly, they were both put in an ark. Um, it's a random little detail, but the, the word for basket, that the little basket that Moses has put in is actually the same word for ark. Um, and it's actually the only two places in the whole story that the, that word is used. Uh, so the author seems to be drawing our attention to that. Um, he, he also highlights that the ark is coated with tar in the same way that, sorry, the basket is coated with, the ark, with the tar in the same way that the ark was coated in tar. Um, so, so both Moses and Noah were put in an ark. Um, and also Noah and Moses were both saved from the water. So you got... You know, there's a lot of comparison here between Moses and Noah, um, but there's a really big difference between Moses and Noah, a really big difference from, between Noah and Moses, because Noah was a chance for a fresh start from God's people. Went out, made his family, grew his family, that's a fresh start from God's people. Everyone else was wiped out and God began again with Noah. And you sort of wonder in Exodus 2, maybe this is going to be the same. You know, God's taken Moses, he's brought him in out of Egypt, you know, he's, he's almost got him to the promised land, he, maybe he could start again with Moses. But the answer to whether this is enough is a resounding no. A big cross, no, this is not right. Moses says, I'm still a foreigner in a foreign land, this isn't right. This is not satisfying, this is not the answer. And of course, we, we should know this already because God had made a promise. He promised he wasn't going to do the Noah thing again. He's promised to be faithful to his people and his people are back there in Egypt, they're crying out for help. God is not the God who's going to abandon them. And so if Exodus 2 is showing us our limits... If it's showing us that Moses' is a thing of looking to our own strength is not going to work, if it's showing us that we're looking to Moses to be the hero of the Exodus story and we're, uh, but we're looking in the wrong place, well then, uh, where, is, where, where is Exodus 2, point 3, where is Exodus 2 encouraging us then to look for help? If, if it's not looking to help uh, in our hero Moses, if it's not looking for help in our own strength, where is Exodus 2 encouraging us to look for help? Of course... It's showing us that we should be looking to the one who has not been mentioned in the whole chapter at all until the very last couple of verses. The one who's been missing the whole way through, actually. The one whose absence we're being made to feel. We should be feeling this. Where is he? What's he going to do? Where is he? Why isn't he acting? We should be looking to the holy God. 
to the one who has power to save. He's where we're going to find rescue. He's the hero of the story. We need him to step in. And let's have a look at what, how, our, how our story concludes in verses 23 to 24. Uh, this really is the turn. We've had two weeks of seeing Israel's slavery and misery and really feeling that, where is God? We really need God to come and act here. Um, and actually, I talked about a bit, uh, this uh, last week a little bit, but for our regulars, um, before we've, we started in Exodus, we are in Romans, and actually we've had a number of weeks in Romans as well of feeling our need uh, for rescue from slavery to sin. So we've kind of been here for weeks and weeks and weeks, and here is the turn where, when God's people are in crisis, need rescuing, where do we look? Who do we cry to? Verse 23, During that long period, the king of Egypt died, the Israelites groaned in their slavery, and cried out, and their cry for help because of their slavery went up to God. And God heard their groaning, and he remembered his covenant with Abraham, with Isaac, and with Jacob. And so God looked on at the Israelites and was concerned about them. Literally, God looked on at the Israelites and he knew. He knew. The idea here of God remembering and God knowing is not that God is forgetful and needs a reminder on his phone, oh, forgot about my people. No, the, imp- the implication in these words is that, uh, that, it's, that it's about action. It's about action. God, God remembers, he knows, it's time for him to act in power. And we are going to see God show himself and his power to rescue in dramatic ways over the coming chapters of Exodus, starting next week with the burning bush. Uh, but for now, the implication for us is clear. What should God's people do in times of crisis when we're under pressure? Well, we should cry out to the holy God for help. That, that's the answer. You know, showing courage and compassion, that's, that's wonderful. Thinking we can do it all in our own strength and thinking we can be the heroes, well, that's a disaster. But what we should do ultimately is be looking to Him. And so when we're under pressure, do we cry out to God for help? Do we go to Him and trust Him and go to His power? Oh, when I think about myself, I'm an organized kind of guy. Um, you can talk to my wife, Annika, about how much I love spreadsheets. Um, I have a spreadsheet for our budget. Um, I schedule out my time. I kind of have packing lists for our holidays, for camping. Uh, when things are going a bit harder, probably my kind of inbuilt natural reaction is to sort of try and get things organized. I'm going to turn to my spreadsheets. Um, and again, just like, it's, uh, just like it's not a bad thing for churches to be effective, it's not a bad thing to be organized in your personal life. At least I'll keep telling myself that. Um, when we're organized and not getting distracted by silly things, I, you know, I would say I've, I think it's more likely that God might be pleased to do good things through us. But the real question is, when we're in crisis, when we need help, do we look to our systems and our effectiveness and our organization, or do we look to our holy God? Um, I must confess, probably in those situations, I do go too quickly to my computer and my organizational skills, try and work my way out of the problem. And I probably go too far too slowly to my knees. Uh, It's a pray to my Father who's Lord of the universe. Uh, The one who I should know actually has power to save or destroy um, with even a word. Uh, Perhaps when you think about what makes you safe, what you go to to help you feel safe in a time of crisis, perhaps it's not your organisational skills, but uh, maybe it's the money you have in your bank account or the family who you know will support you. Or maybe there are other good things uh, that you go to for safety, for security when things are going wrong. Um, They are good things, but how do we make sure we're not letting those things stopping us, be stopping us from looking to the one who has ultimate power, um, the one that we should ultimately depend on. Do we depend, to, depend on him? Do we look to him? Do we trust that he is the saving God and that he is where hope is found rather than in those other things we might go to? 
Now, how might we get better at this, looking to God and, and going to Him when we need help? How practically can we remember to be doing that and train ourselves uh, to be looking to God and His strength rather to, than to our own? Um, I've got three quick suggestions. I think habits around prayer are, are important. Um, someone told me a while back, um, this was their advice, when things are a bit harder, we might sometimes kind of, okay, I'm going to decide what I'm going to do, I'm going to figure out the solution and then I'll pray about it right? And that's, that's fine. That's not, it's not a terrible thing to do. But this person said to me, perhaps rather than trying to figure out what you're going to do and then asking for God to sort of back you up, perhaps you might actually try and form the habit of going first to prayer, praying first, praying immediately. Something's gone wrong. Someone tells you you've had hard news, some, something you're going through. First response, pray. God, I know you're powerful. I know you're the rescuing God who loves us. And so I just cry out to you for help in this situation. Rather than I'm going to figure it out and then I'm going to go for you to, to you for help. Would you help me, Father, to know the right thing to do here? It's just a simple thing. I've been reminded of what that person said to me from a few months ago. I haven't put it into practice, I, I will admit, but I, I reckon it's a good tip and I'm going to try and give it a go. Um, second, second practical suggestion. Uh, we've spoken today about kind of harder times, times of pressure, times of crisis. Um, but of course, you know, well, surely we can also train ourselves to cry out to God when things are going well, right? Um, when things are, things are fine. Um, one thing I have made a habit of mine is... Every night, at least almost every night, um, for me, I do it in the shower. I have a nighttime shower. Um, I take one, one minute to just cast my mind back through the day and just thank God for the good things that have come up in my day. I know it's simple and it's probably something that lots of us actually do, but just that daily reminder that I'm trusting in the one uh, who, who is powerful. He's the one we rely on. And actually, all those good things that I've had today, they have come from him. He's the one from whom good gifts come. And third and final suggestion, uh, if we want to be able to cry out confidently to God, if that's what we want to do, well, we need to actually look to the cross. Um, I reckon it would have been pretty hard for the Israelites when they were crying out to God in Exodus chapter 2 in our story. You know, did they have any real sense of whether God was going to come and help them? Did they have any, have any real hope? They'd been in slavery for a really long time and years had passed and generations had passed and people have died. It would be really hard to feel any sort of confidence that God was going to act and we can say, well, okay, we're on the other side of the story. We knew what God was building towards. We knew what God was going to do. And it's kind of easier for us on the other side of the story, isn't it? We can see that God was getting ready to act in amazing power and that he was going to rescue according to his timing and in his way. Um, we can read how he, uh, he, he was going to redeem his people. Well, it's worth noting as we flash forward to 2023, over 3,000 years later, well, we are not, as God's people, we are not the equivalent of the Israelites under slavery. We are not... God's people waiting to see if he's going to come and redeem us and rescue us. No, because our rescue, our redemption, well, actually, we have seen it. It was in Jesus, and we saw it at the cross. Uh, we, we said Noah was a little bit like Moses. Well, Jesus was also a lot like Moses. He escaped while other infants uh, were slaughtered, and he escaped to Egypt, which is an interesting little connection. And, and just like God did eventually use Moses to save his people, well, we know that God uses Jesus to save his people. But the difference with Jesus... Moses was plucked from death to save his people, or Jesus was put to death to save his people. This is why we see the cross is so important. It's the ultimate moment where God shows us that he's a rescuing God. It shows us God setting us free from slavery, not a physical kind of slavery, but an even greater kind of slavery. It shows us God setting us free from slavery to sin and to Satan, passing over us and putting his wrath onto Jesus instead. It shows us that God has the power to rescue us. And it actually shows us that he has done that. And it shows us his love for us, that he would choose to rescue us. The Israelites, they cried out to God for rescue. Well, we can cry out to God knowing that he has rescued us. 
and that he loves us and that now we're his children. So how do you go in a crisis in times of pressure? In good times or bad, maybe, what can we do? Well, we can know that he's the one we can look to for rescue. And we can know that in Jesus he has rescued us. And so we can keep looking to him for help again and again and again, all the days of our lives. Why don't I pray that he would help us to keep looking to him. Uh, Father God, how great is your power, how great is your love. We know that you are the great rescuing God. Whatever we're going through, especially when we face times of crisis and times of high pressure, help us to look to you. Help us to look to you with confidence, knowing that you have rescued us by the cross of Jesus. And we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.